You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Will Mavity's interview with the directors for Wolf Walkers, Tom Moore and Ross Stewart. No children beyond the walls. The forest is brimming with real wolves. Walker. I met a girl in the forest <laughs> who has magic powers. When she sleeps, she turns into a wolf. She's a wolf walker. Something's happened to me. Be a wolf. Hi guys, can you hear me? Yeah. Yeah. How's it going? How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for taking the time to talk. Oh, yeah, no, no problem. Nice. Yeah, so uh, obviously this was just an unbelievably gorgeous film. Um, so first and foremost, the big question is how much is hand-drawn, how much is CGI, um, especially in some of those wolf vision sequences? Yeah. Not that much CGI overall. I'd say almost none. Most of it's hand-drawn. And then the wolf vision sequences have a, like a an under an, an under layer, let's say, where it was all mapped out in CG. But then what you see on screen is all drawn on paper. In fact, we should bring some of the paper up here to show people. Do we have <laughs> any? Yeah, so it was all drawn. Watch out, you're still plugged in, Rocks. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Can you see that? Okay, yeah. This is what the wolf vision. I oh, know, sorry. I don't have it here. Um, oh, yeah, okay. It's getting, I can see it now, yeah. Like it's all paper and charcoal on printed out. Oh my God. The CG um, fly through, you know. So for every wolf vision scene, there was like a stacks of paper. Stacks of paper. Oh my God. So, yeah. And every, every page is like a beautiful little um, drawing. drawing. So Yeah. So it was crazy amount of work. That was like, that was the only part that really used CG. And but it was only because it was so labor intensive. It was only like three minutes and it took the, the whole like three years of production practically. So that that's that's insane. Tell me a little bit about the division of labor between you two, and a little bit about co-directing a film like this. I just Ross just brings me cake. <laughs> <laughs> Tom has a big golden throne. Where he goes and he has a crown and a big uh, mitre. And, uh, and if anyone angers him, he smacks him with yeah, the mitre. Ross just does what I tell him. I, I, I stand behind him with a palm leaf and I waft him <laughs> and I bring him cake. Yeah. It wasn't what I thought I signed up for. Yeah, you knew it. You knew what you were signing up for. <laughs> but uh, no, the, the, from the very start, Tom himself had a very much a, like a shared vision. We wrote the story together. Then we worked with Will Collins, the scriptwriter, and, and uh, developed the story with him. And then um, all through pre-production, we were managing all the same departments. The only time that we diverged then was when in the middle of production, it got really busy. Um, and I... I started looking after more background stuff, like from layout to layout line and color background. And Tom was focusing more on character design, um, posing and animation. And so we would sit in review rooms, uh, you know, most of the time and, and review stuff. But Tom was working with the people in his departments and I was working with people in my departments, like, you know, on the day to day stuff. And then once those departments kind of started to wind down, 
then we both would um, share the responsibilities all over again. So we were both there for compositing and for, uh, you know, like music and sound design and everything like that. The main thing was being able to use the other one as a bad cop. Whenever we, like I had to tell the animators that they had to change something, I'd say it's Ross making them change it. And then they couldn't be angry at me. And if they, Ross wanted a background artist to change something, he would say it was me who was making them change. Yeah. And then like when we would walk down the hallways and people would glare at us and like, you know, start <laughs> I think things, he means you. It would <laughs> be like, oh yeah, Tom must have been bad made me again. Oh yeah. So um, in the process of developing the story, uh, obviously the, um, the whole Kilkenny period isn't something that uh, in, in America and I think in uh, English schools they're taught as much. A part was a kind of an extermination of wolves part of this period or was this just something yeah. you guys... No, it was real. No, it was real. That's one of the more tragic parts of the reality behind the story. You know, like so much wolf walkers is fictionalized, but the, the Cromwellian conquest of Ireland and the determined extinction of wolves in the country uh, was like an actual reality. So um, there were signs up all over the country that anyone who brought in the, the head of a wolf or the, the skin of a wolf would be paid five pounds. And it was like a really determined like onslaught against- um, The no same ones. price for a priest, I think. Yeah, you got five pounds. No, honestly, you got five pounds if you killed a Catholic priest, five pounds oh if you killed a male um, wolf, wolf yeah. and six pounds for a female wolf. It was oh. more, yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah, it was horrible. It was a time when Ireland was called Wolfland because yeah. it was there were so many wolves and it was so associated with wolves and it was so much part of the day-to-day -day, like folklore and mythology of the people. And what's kind of saddest is that once they eliminated the wolves, I think a lot of this mythology got forgotten too. Mm. And that kind of spirit that there was a connection between the wolves kind of got lost a bit. And um, yeah, we thought it was interesting to rediscover that. See, wolves were extinct over in England, over in like England and Scotland. And um, the fact that wolves were still living in Ireland and still roaming the country made the English people at the time, like especially those in governments, think that Ireland was a savage land, like completely mm. untamed. And oh my God, they even have wolves roaming around. So it was part of this, um, this kind of oppression or civilization of the country by coming over here by like, you know, controlling the people and exterminating the wolves, it was it was this seen as this civilization of this wild land, you know. So you, you mentioned that uh, a lot of the myths were lost with this period. W was the idea of a wolf walker based on like an actual legend that used to exist yeah. in kind of Irish folklore? Yeah, there was there was a lot of stories going back, I think, to the eighth century about the wolves of Ossery or the man wolves of Ossery. And they were all variations on a kind of uh, transformation story about families that wouldn't convert for St. Patrick and so they became wolves. And mm. I think there was an earlier story, even earlier, there was like a king from this area that was, the legend was that he could turn into a wolf in battle and stuff, you know, so there was stuff all around that and it was just connections. There was lots of like terms and stuff where the people would go wolfing, like young men when they were kind of in their training period as warriors would go wolfing and live in the woods like wolves or alongside wolves and stuff so all of that stuff was mixed up and all the folklore was mixed up in the popular imagination so it was a way to kind of colonize the the mindset of people to wipe out the wolves and to make them feel like that nature was their enemy rather than something they were part of you know this is krista makes guitarist and vocalist for less than jake and host of krista makes a podcast 
a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday. Don't you know that you're a I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I've never done it. (laughs) So uh, the way this film goes, uh, the the Lord Protector is supposed to be Cromwell, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's not too well but, hidden because everyone's yeah. guessed. Or maybe it. an aspect of Cromwell, like um, you know, like Cromwell is a very like complex like historical figure. So that's why we didn't call him Cromwell in the film. We call him the Lord Protector. Mm-hmm. It's it's an aspect of the Cromwellian invasion, but more his his. Um, determined environmental destruction like under Cromwell so many of the native woodlands were cut down and then like the wolves were made almost extinct so we kind of focused on that part of of his character for our story not on the part of him like killing the king and (laughs) seeing crystals it just didn't seem to fit (laughs) (laughs) so did you guys I guess you didn't have to uh did you consider I guess the the Inglorious bastards as yeah, yeah. implications. I find it so funny. These are all things that came up, and it's amazing that people are spotting it. But I suppose it's really obvious, and that's partly why we didn't call him Cromwell because of Inglorious Bastards. We didn't know if it was long enough ago or as well known enough history. But just in case, we kind of said, let's keep this in a mythic kind of realm and be vague. Call him Lord Protector. People will get it that that's who he's based on. But it's mm-hmm. just a general colonizing. Yeah, spirit. Like, like he's still the number one villain in Ireland. Like, I mean, uh, if you were to ask most Irish people who, like, in all of Irish history, who was who was the baddest man to invade Ireland, most people would say Cromwell. He's like really hated over here. But yet, in London, there's a statue of him because he he made Parliament. You know, he mm. like, he's the one who, uh, after killing um, the king, uh, you know, installed the start installed of parliamentary yeah. democracy. Yeah, but um. So like, so yeah, he isn't just a bad guy. Like he was, you know, completely devoted to his cause. So we wanted, we didn't want to just have it as a revisionist history take. So we yeah, decided to just use one part of his character as the villain for our story, which was his var- environmental. It was kind uh, of impact. the same thing we did with the Vikings in Secret of Kells. We decided yeah. to just show them 
as they would have seemed to the people who were living mm. through that, even though we know there's such a rich history of all, even there's stuff in our language and in the art and all that came from Vikings, we kind of have to simplify it and make it almost like a fairy tale or a mythic kind of villain, you know? Mm -hmm. So if he's designed kind of also to, to resemble Cromwell, was the father deliberately, since he's voiced by Sean Bean, designed to look like Ned Stark? Uh, yeah, I don't think that was, we tried to make him look a bit like Sean Bean, or we thought about Sean Bean. Yeah, and I think the big, uh, that came from Fede, didn't it? Yeah, but we, like even earlier on, we were thinking that a wolf hunter would probably have a wolf. That's right. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it, like, you know, you know, not just to look like badass, but also to uh, disguise, <laughs> disguise the scent. Uh, like when, yeah, you know, when a wolf, yeah, when a yeah. hunter's out in the, in the woods, they would not want to, you know, smell of perfume and aftershave. Um, so, yeah, I think from early on, like the wolf hunter always had a wolf pelt around his shoulders. Uh, okay, so one of my favorite aspects of the film is the music. And obviously Bruno Colai's score is great, but the songs are, are lovely. And uh, I, I mainly, the site I write for is mainly a uh, awards season site. So tell me about the songs. Do you have a favorite? And uh, is there one that you're hoping is going to be kind of the big Oscar play if one of them is a contender? I don't think I don't think Running with the Wolves can play for the Oscar because it's an adaptation. It's oh, okay, yeah. It's an adaptation of Aurora's song. Maybe Maria's song at the end, maybe um, the, at the end. But the Running with the Wolves would be my favorite. I kind of really liked that song in its original form, and then we just did like an adaptation of that for mm. for the movie. Yeah, I think Running with the Wolves is like about four years, maybe more. Yeah, older. Oh, 17. Okay, okay, yeah. So it wouldn't be eligible, but the yeah. the credits song. Or like yeah, the, yeah, yeah, Maria's song. Yeah. yeah. Maria Doyle Kennedy is quite a famous singer here in Ireland. Yeah, I think she... it, it might have more of um like the score might like yeah. the best original score, I think. The score is lovely. Be, yeah. yeah Bruno won Bruno won an Annie for the score he wrote for Coraline. So it's not crazy that he might win some awards for the score. He's worked on all the movies that we've done. And it's all, he's always ends up working with Henry Selick at the same time. But uh, <laughs> thankfully, stop motion takes so long that yeah. the movie's not coming out this year. I've been waiting for Wendell and Wild for, uh, for years. Yeah. And, and that's Netflix. So uh, yeah. working with Apple, was, were they pretty uh, hands-off, kind of let you do your thing? Yeah, yeah, really hands off for the for the the whole creation of it. They didn't give us like lots of notes and weren't nitpicking or anything. I think the only thing that we got notes on was stuff that might have to do with violence or blood, you know, things that would affect the ratings. Um, but they weren't like they they weren't like um, you know. Um, no, they were in line with what we wanted yeah. to create anyway. Like they were helping us make a movie that we like. We set out to make a PG action adventure, mm -hmm. so we knew if we got a note from them about that. The hardest thing was maybe guns and stuff, but mm -hmm. because it was a historical context, we weren't showing like you know modern gun violence. It was yeah. all fine, and they were really supportive. Um, and then what they've done like with the release of the movie has been amazing. Like the amount of help they've done with marketing and publicity and reaching out to festivals and, and like all kinds of like organizations to, to help anything to help. Like, and then they got this huge, big uh, skyscraper in New York painted with the Wolf Walk <laughs> It's crazy. I'd love so, to see wild. it in real life. Yeah, it's yeah. incredible. It's, it is crazy. Some of the stuff that we'd never, because we were always such an indie studio and such a tiny kind of, you know, we had, very dedicated partners like G Kids, but they were also small distributors. But now with Apple, they've really upped the ante, and there's some cool stuff that they're doing. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
Yeah, so uh, I think my time here is almost up, but um, I always like to know, what's your favorite little Easter egg in the film? What have you buried in there that, uh, just give me one, I know you have a bunch. Well, when Maeve is going through Robin's stuff, um, you know, when she has Robin on the ground and she's going through her stuff, she brings out the, the Eye of Crom from the Secret of Kells. Oh! There's a, like a little crystal thing and she looks through it and then throws it away. And so anyone who's <laughs> watched the Secret of Kells would probably recognize that little thing. But I think my favorite Easter egg is that in the very, very start, there's a little Robin that comes out around a badger. And mm -hmm. um, the Robin is a recording of a Robin that lives in my garden. Um, who's called Jim, Jim Bob. And um, I recorded him and sent him over to the sound designers and they put in, so every time I hear didn't that- get a credit Robin, though. Jim Bob should have had a credit. His agents didn't want a credit. Oh, I don't think you should, you should fire his agent, Jim Bob. Yeah. <laughs> I like that there's caricatures of us all in there. There's a caricature oh, really? of me and Ross. When the wolves first attack, me and Ross are there. And we turn around, there's a few caricatures of us in there, yeah. I grew a beard so I wouldn't be as recognizable since those days. <laughs> See, you need a, you need an acting credit now, clearly too. Oh so. yeah, and you need to go back and draw my beard in on every frame that it doesn't have now that I grow a beard for the next well, release. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks, uh, honestly, just a gorgeous movie. So I uh, I have high hopes for it this Oscar season, both in music and an animated feature. And uh, uh, thank you for continuing to bring out hand drawn film because it. Uh, you know, I, I grew up with it and I was sad to see it kind of fade away and things like this yeah. are back. So we're keeping it going. Yeah. Keeping All the right. flame lit. Good stuff. Well, thanks so much, guys. Good luck. Thank you. Thanks for talking Thank to us. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to Will Mavity's interview with the directors for Wolfwalkers, Tom Moore and Ross Stewart here on the Next Best Picture podcast. Wolfwalkers is currently streaming on Apple TV Plus. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. You can subscribe to us anywhere where you listen to podcasts. If you are feeling generous, head on over to Apple Podcasts and rate us five stars. Leave us a comment. Let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can also lend over at Patreon. For $1 minimum a month, you will get exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening as always, and we shall see you all next time. Coming up on 5-Minute News. I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.